We are officially going to start off by saying you are tuned into 91.3 WVKR Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. It is 4.59 p.m. We're here each and every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. broadcasting from the beautiful college campus at Vassar College. And um, also the show... All the interviews will be uploaded on YouTube, the Rita Ryan Local Motion YouTube channel, as well as the Local Motion Facebook page, should you miss any of this. I am so thrilled to have John Burdick as my guest today. I want to start off by playing a track of his, and then we're going to talk to him because we've got him on the phone already. So let's learn more about him. But first, let's always start off by playing some music. This is from the band... The Seed Project, and it's newly released, just released January 21st of this year, released on Subfamily Records. Let's take a listen to Complicate here on 91.3 WVKR. Ninety-one-three, 
WVKR Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York, 5.04 p.m. We just heard brand new music, Complicate by the Seed Project. Now let's get John on the phone. John? Hey, Rita. Hey, hey. Oh, good. I, it's always a good start when you don't disconnect your guest, you know? So <laughs> it, it, we're only going up from here, John, my friend. So thank you. And thanks for your time today. Um, thank you for sending me all this cool music that you're involved with. And uh, just want to tell people, as I did when I started the show at four o'clock, um, you're a songwriter, guitarist with the Sweet Clumman Times. You guys have been around for a long time. You also starting this new solo project, which we'll talk about in great depth, Unity us and you're the current lead guitarist with uh, Rhett Millers of course he, he's the old 97 singer and he's got a solo band which you're a part of and um, lots of other great things as well as being uh, the co-founder of this Hudson Valley Collective Subfamily Records and not only that if that isn't enough you're also a longtime music critic and book reviewer with Ulster Publishing and Hudson Valley One so um, you, I don't think you're ever bored are you? No, no, you know, and it's been kind of cool because while I've been active in music my whole life, this uh, renaissance, if you can call it that, is all really kind of taking shape after the age of 45, I, you know, and I feel really fortunate. Yes. That's the case. Yes, yes, yeah, very well put. It feels like everyone's breathing a fresh bit of air right now, so... Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. I always like to start off, I like to go back. Sometimes I say, this is your life, John Burdick. And just talk to me about your youth and your coming into music. And you're obviously such an eloquent writer. Um, tell me about your beginnings. I know you're a guitarist. When did music come into your world? Well, via my father, music was just a, you know, it was like oxygen in our house. And, uh, but my road into it was a little bumpy because my brother, older by three and a half years, he claimed the identity of the music guy, you know, before <laughs> I even really had a shot at, at claiming it. And I sort of felt like, kind of like when we were young and we were listening to the Beatles and you had to choose which one you were. And when you were young, we all wanted to be Paul, but my brother took Paul and, you know, so you pick with, uh, you pick what's uh, left. So I, I think, you know, not to, over-dramatize it, but I think the fact that my brother was so all-in on music and still has, to this day, has never done anything else, um, kind of made me feel like I needed to look in other directions. I don't know why. There's something sort of recessive about my nature there, a little, you know, deferential. Mm -hmm. But I always knew, you know, something I wanted to do, and I learned to play, and I wasn't nearly as active as he was in high school bands. And, and, and was such. guitar your first instrument? Yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. My father was a jazz pianist, but uh, guitar, we were both guitarists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really, really start kicking it into gear until, and this will be of interest to the, the musicians in your listenership, until I bought a four-track recording deck. Uh -huh. And uh, so when suddenly the game wasn't just being as flashy a guitarist as my brother, which I knew wasn't going to happen, when it became writing, arranging, recording, you know, and suddenly that whole domain was available to me. That's, and I was out in my early 20s when that happened. Uh -huh. Um, so that, that's when I started to take it seriously and it would still take me years before to take it seriously enough to get out with it, you know? Right. Right. And what about writing? Because you're so damn good at it. Yeah. I think that, you know, when I said like my brother took the identity of musician, so you took, yeah, <laughs> you took the, of, I, you know, it was there and I didn't really embrace it at first, but that's what I studied in college and, mm -hmm. and later in grad school and, and um, But I guess the funny story was I always resisted writing at all about music just for the very same reason that, that someone who aspired to be an actor doesn't want to go into wardrobe or set design. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like that close to the thing you love, but not to the thing you love. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until uh, my editor at, at uh, the now defunct Almanac Week Weekly, Julie O'Connor, sort of bullied me into starting to do it about 10 years ago. And the it was pretty obvious right from the go that, okay, yeah, this is something I can do, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. so. Where'd you go to college? I, I'm a SUNY brat. I went to Oswego, and then I did my uh, grad school here at uh, home in New Paltz, where I'm from. Ah, so you're from New Paltz. Nice, nice. Mm -hmm. And you come yeah. right back. Yeah, that's a great SUNY school. It's got a great reputation for sure. So um, yeah. a lot of great people are coming from that. What happened after college as far as your craft is concerned? Musically? Um, Musically, or, uh, writing, uh, both. 
it seems to well, tie my, in uh, both together for you. I, I was one. I was lost, you know, as people with um, you know dual degrees in music and writing arts are prone to be after mm-hmm. graduating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was at home, and I fell into the grad program here at SUNY New Paltz, which was really picking up steam. And uh, the discipline of composition theory and composition studies was really blossoming in academic settings. And I came right into the profession at that time, and that led to to 12 years of teaching college English. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience, but I came to the fork in the roads, which was go get the Ph.D. and and make a career of it or try uh, or not. And I chose not. And any time I've made a decision like that in my life, it was always to leave more time for music because when you don't go into something like that and then expect to have you know time for a major amateur passion on the side you know Mm -hmm. so uh i i declined and in the years i was getting pretty musically active now i went to work and you know writing in the business world web world you know that whole thing but uh playing in bands and other such stuff did you play in a band while you were at in college at in suny new in, yeah, grad school I did. I had a pretty happening local band uh, in my late 20s and early 30s. We were called Warmwood, and a bunch of the players from Warmwood are still around and active on the local scene. Very we active a, music uh, scene in New Paltz anyway, right? I mean, for college. It especially was at that time. Yeah. 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 You know, otherwise, I'd say not as much as you'd expect mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, mid-90s was a very good time uh in New Paltz music scene. Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend, one of my best friends at the time that I went to high school with, did, did four years at SUNY New Paltz. And going there on the weekends to hang with her, the scene was just really cool. You know, I'm talking mid mm, to yeah. later 80s. And um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a good time for sure, for sure. So talk more about, I mean, right now, I mean, I look at your bio. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with you. You've <laughs> really, really seriously. I mean, I guess... You you mentioned you were with Almanac, which is where I think I first noticed you as a writer. And then, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. as the Sweet Clementines, because, you know, you guys are pretty well known here in the area. So, so I don't know, just talk to me about your start with Almanac. It was a long time ago, right? Ten years or so? It was about a decade, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was already, you know, well on in years when I started finally doing it. But I do want to backtrack and say, actually, I, I don't know if you remember this, but the the first time you and I met in person was when another band, I knew Paul's institutional band I play in called The Traps, was yes. opening for that very talented dude, Chris Trapper, at yes. Town Crier. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that was, that, that was the night that we met. Right, right. Oh, I love Chris Trapper. He's just such an entertainer. He's a ham. He sure is. Yeah, yeah. 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 So ah. anyway, but, uh, you know, uh, Almanac and stuff like that, I guess... As I said, I was reluctant to to write about music. Um, my editor, childhood, you know, lifelong friend, finally convinced me that it would uh, help me make connections on the local scene. It would uh, put me in touch with venues. All of that turned out to be true. But there's the the other side of that too, which is when you're in the business of uh, expressing your opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Although I don't ever really write explicitly negative reviews. I, I, I can choose to be critical without, you know, being negative or without without value judgment, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's ways to be critical and ways to make sense and make it really substantial without, you know, yes, no, pro, con, plus, minus kind of writing. Matter of fact, I think that's a lower form of criticism. But Absolutely. That's just my Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And you've written so many great articles. I really enjoyed the last one. I'm a huge fan of um, David Barron, who oh, I know goodness. you just, I mean, write for years. I, I found out about him probably about a decade or so ago now and just follow his work. I don't use this word light, lightly. I think the words are overused, over-dramatized but truly the word musical genius is what I use to describe David Barron. Yeah. And, you know, you know, and, and that's not a far-fetched thing to say. Obviously you look at the resume, you look at how in demand he is, and then you listen to the quality of what he does. And he's, I don't know if the whole album is out yet, but he's been bit by bit releasing his solo piano record, which is a genre of music, almost uh, borderline modern classical and it is amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it speaks to, you know, the depth of his musicality, that he can do it 
arranging for an orchestra and he can do it, you know, on solo piano and he does incredible pop work. And yeah, no doubt. And that whole series, the Making Records series, which is all interviews with recording professionals, has been a blast because they're all really smart, yeah. um, eloquent people. And matter of fact, I'm starting a conversation today for the next chapter with uh, Scott Petito, who I'm sure you know. Wonderful. He's, yeah, he's, he, yeah. he's been on the show several times. He, too. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at his discography, you could talk to him literally. You could talk about it for about 10 minutes and not catch a breath of fresh air of all the mm. people he has worked with. He is fantastic. Fantastic. Yes, he is. And yeah. That's what I'll be doing this weekend. Oh. Having that exact conversation with him. Some people prefer to write. Other people prefer to talk. Yeah. I think we're going to do the talk thing with, with, uh, with Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, super cool. Now, do you get to go to his studio, NRS uh, recording studio, or well, do you, you know, the do that over the Well, you know, the funny thing about that is that I, uh, I um, started this series, uh, COVID was already a thing, mm-hmm. you know, so I obviously interviewed musicians, local musicians, and, uh, you know, the nationally, the national musicians who reside locally, I've been in touch with them and talking with them for years, but when I had the idea to really do a focused series that gets in pretty deep at least from a layman's level perspective, gets pretty deep into the art of recording a little more than you might expect in a, you know, local weekly kind of paper. Um, there wasn't an option. You know, I started with uh, D. James Goodwin, Isocon Studio, another, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. mastermind. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. and, then, and then we did Julie Last, the great engineer in the, in the Woodstock area, and uh, Danny Bloom, Jamal Rue, the mastering engineer, and then uh, David Barron, and now Scott. And I'm just amazed that my publishers are still interested in this series, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know? we but it's have, doing really well. It, it, it's, we have such a plethora of world-class recording studios here. We really do. There's a handful here that is just like people are coming from all over the world to record here, you know? And, um, yeah, no doubt. And you've been tapping that for, for the whole run of this show, yeah. the, the recording side as well as the unbelievable player pool up yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's like I used to say, Every community with uh, with any self respect has a cafe where they have you know jazz on Sundays. But you can walk into them here and it's you know Jack D. Jeanette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of mind blowing the level of all the way from that level, the legend, you know, utterly elite level, all the way down through the professional ranks. So just the 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 player pool up here is staggering. It absolutely and it's been very is. exciting in the last few years that the local talent has started playing locally more than they used to yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it really is nice to to get to see them. You know, you see them on big stages, and then they come home to the Hudson Valley and and just you know play at one of our amazing local venues as well. So I'm I'm still blown away by the talent that we have here in the Hudson Valley from you know from from the start all the way till they are established. It's it's really cool to see. You know, I had uh, Lee Falco on the show last week, and um, just yeah, to sure. watch him, I mean, he's like, you know, 25 years old, and just to watch him over the last 10 years, one can only imagine if, where he'll be in 10 more years, you know? and He's that- 25, but he plays like he has a command of the last 80 years mm-hmm. of music. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's an old soul on the drums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Phenomenal and player. Any, and a great producer and a great writer, you know. Yeah, so yeah. And cool. any, any genre you put in front of him, he'll play it. He'll play pop. He'll yeah. play jazz. He'll play folk. He'll do whatever you need him to do. And he'll do it like he's a master of whatever it is, you know, and it's so cool. Yeah. And that's yeah. another cool place he's got going on, too, the building, which is up and coming recording studio, too, in in Marlboro, mm-hmm. which of course was the original Falcon. So Great really, space, yeah. really, really good space. So yeah, yeah. So now you're writing, since we're on the writing thing, with Hudson, uh, Hudson, with Ulster Publishing. Tell me about this. Right. They're, they're a magazine. They're a, what, talk talk yeah. more about that. Okay, sure. It's, um, it's actually not a happy story. Ulster Publishing has always been the parent company of New Paltz Times, Woodstock Times, Kingston Times, Saugerties Times, and Almanac Weekly, and the online site, um, HV1. Um, as you probably know, it's been an awful time for small press, mm-hmm. local news generally. We're talking the last couple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, they've been caught in the middle between the Internet and, you know, all the other electronic news sources, and it's, it's really been a, a bad time, and there had already been cutbacks. And then when COVID hit, um, it actually everything shut down. 
We all got the notice and everything went away. And it popped back to life pretty quickly, months, months and a half later, but now is this highly consolidated um, paper publication called HB1. And so that is essentially standing in for all of the regional papers I just described mm-hmm. and more, you know. So it's all one paper now. And one of the things that that meant for me was that I wrote for Almanac Weekly, edited by the great Julie O'Connor, which was a real culture insert and yeah. a place where long form and more uh, more critical writing really made sense. Mm-hmm. And now when you're talking about the news of the entire region and these five papers rolled into one paper, there's obviously just not the bandwidth for culture writing generally, especially the kind of idiosyncratic, you know, the eccentric uh, critical writing that I tend to do. But they're, they're, they're still uh, finding a place for it. Mm-hmm. And so I get to, you know, keep that part of my week, which is nice. Um, so that's, that's essentially the story there. You know, who knows, maybe someday... The Ulster Publishing Empire will rise again. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I sure hope so. You know, I'm, uh, I, I think I'm more old school, and the older I get, I get to be more like that. You know, I'm still, I, I just love holding a paper. I just still love reading, you know, a physical paper and the sure. computer. It's, I, I, t- I tend to, take weekends off. I try to not spend so much time in front of a computer. I do it all week. You know, it's just, it's just nice to read, read a paper, read mm-hmm. a book and, and get off of that blue screen. Oh yeah. So right. are you a vinyl fan as well? For I, the same reason? I am a vinyl fan. I'm a real CD fan um, because they're just easy. I still have a CD player in my car, nor will I buy a new car that does not have a CD player. And therefore <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I might be driving my car for a really long time. Um, (laughs) That's old school. (laughs) It is old school. I know it's horrendous. It's horrendous, but it is what it is. Um, So also let's, let's go into the music part now, because when did Sweet Clementine start? We started um, around 2006 is when we actually started. And it was, um, I think, you know, if you look at the arc of the life, um, I had been active in bands up until my early 30s, and then I had a child, and mm-hmm. then I kind of was musically active in those years. I was writing commercial music for multimedia and some uh, music for theater and getting my digital recording skills together in, in the age when that was just kind of new, you know, just sort of, but I wasn't playing out. And um, when my child reached close to double digits, you know, the whole nature of the mm-hmm. <laughs> of the undertaking changes quite a bit and i just really eased my way into it a couple projects here and there and uh, when i had a batch of songs because i hadn't always been strictly speaking a songwriter but i had a batch of songs i was pretty excited about them tracked down another guitarist songwriter named chris Thomas and a friend of mine chelsea lacatina great singer and we started a little acoustic trio called the sweet clementines and our first gig ironically was opening for Rhett Miller. Oh, how one okay. Well, I was gonna say how yeah, so. there that ties into that. Tell me about coming up with the name the Sweet Clementines. Uh, sitting in my kitchen trying to come up with a name, we saw a box of Sweet Clementines. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that was it. But I will say this: it's a, you know I believe that every band will eventually come to regret their name. Uh-huh. You know, it just it's it, it's inevitable. Even the Beatles, you know, somewhere along the line, oh, geez, how, why do we have to choose a stupid pun right. uh, for our band name um and sweet clementines i think the problem has been that uh, people assume we're being serious with the name and that we're going to be a very sunny um you know whatever i don't know how to liken it i think uh, uh you i'm sure you know gary mckeever he said the name sounds like you're a lawrence welk's backup singer oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah, so, it, yeah. um you know, and so I think we we meant it more ironically, but uh, I don't think it played that way. But you know, you, you, there's at a certain point you have a brand. There's nothing you can do about it. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot worse names than that. I kind of like the name, so um, it's unique, it's different, and it's memorable. So it's all kind of yeah, rolled and into it just one. Becomes, becomes what it is. Yeah. You know, when you've been a band that long, you know, you don't you don't even question it. So like what we sound like and we're named what we're named. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you stick with it now. So the first time you guys played out opening up for Rhett Miller, where was that? 
That was at a comedy show at the Canine Hackett Center. Ah, near you. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, uh, yeah, it was sweet and uh, and Rhett, you know, was enthusiastic and also enthusiastic about the name. And um, you know, he's been a he's been a kind of a advocate of mine and supporter ever since, which has been a real blessing. And uh, and eventually we morphed into a full five piece rock band, but also with a violins and and vibraphones and you know, sort of. Um, I like to think of it as baroque pop, but it strikes other people differently. I think you know you can't really control how people perceive it. But. Right, right, right. Now, are you guys gonna play out again once once you're able to? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would want to keep play, working with them as you know as long as possible. I mean, I'm I'm really I'm, I consider myself an amateur at this, but it seems to take up almost all of my time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know we're a, we're a kind of a unique band, and and there's a chemistry that comes from playing that long that's irreplaceable. And I might want to do other things. I play in lots of bands, but you don't easily turn your back on on those kind of relationships. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been 15 years, you know, know, 15 years is a long time. And and you get to grow together through music as well. So these times this past year, can you believe it's been a year, literally been a year now this this week? um, Have you been writing like crazy? Like, has it been a productive, creative time for you or has it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it sure it certainly has. And you, the first track you played was Seed Project, which is a purely experimental thing that happened with myself and five other friends. I love that because you were all you in know, lockdown. Yeah, we're all in lockdown. We all had home recording capability and, and varying degrees of home recording skill. And the whole idea was, you know, one person starts an idea, which could be anything from a guitar riff or a drum beat or a synthesizer part to in my case, because it's more the way I work, a complete song demo with me singing it, you know, playing it on a single instrument. And then it would go sequentially and randomly selected using an online random, <laughs> random generator. We would, um, the, the, the so-called seed would move through the community of players, picking up parts as it go. And then it would come back to the originator, the seeder, as we called it, for mixing and finalization. And you played Complicate, which came out like a, a rock song. You know, it didn't come out like anything uh, pretty crazy, but there's some really crazy stuff on the 24-track record. Yeah, I was going to say, is this like a double CD, I guess, if you put it out as that? You could. It's just a, it's a, it's a pile. That's the way <laughs> I think of it. And, and what's more is there's about 10 more already you know, it's ongoing. That's amazing. So, and I love the name it's, it's Seed Project, you know. And this is newly released, too. You just released this in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it was an interesting decision to even release it because in some ways it was about not just staying fresh and staying creative, but it was also about staying in touch with people that were in the habit of seeing, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just, it was a way to a kind of... Uh, but the the whole, there was a lesson I took from it, which was that when you when you work with this, now, it's it's a it's a chaotic record. It's a sloppy record. The uh, production quality is inconsistent around it. I'm no, no one's putting this forward as a like here is the best that all these people are capable of kind of project. It's not that. But when you work with this, act fast. Don't look back. Make a decision. Stick with it. Pass it on. Mm-hmm. When you act with that, you will continuously surprise yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then when there are six people doing that, <laughs> you know, as I as I wrote in the press release that I anonymously wrote for it. Um, <laughs> it. It sounds a little bit like each of us, but not a lot like any of us. Tell it's me who's a, part of the a, Seed Project with you. I would love to. Well, it was founded by the drummer and songwriter Sammy Niss, and right before COVID hit, Sammy, who's played for years with the, the amazing uh, singer-songwriter Laura Stevenson, Sammy got this big gig. She got a gig as the new touring drummer of the really popular indie rock band Real Estate. How cool and is she that? she was literally about to leave for an uh, intermittent on and off year. Of, uh, Real Estate's one of those bands, their touring schedule is, is based on the fact that the main guy has three small children, so mm-hmm. they tour in little bursts. But she was about to start a year of on and off far-flung touring when this all came down and everything was canceled. And I think, you know, I, I can't speak for her, obviously, but her sense was like, got to do something. Right. And, uh, you know, started this project, which she likened from the very beginning to the game, the drawing game Exquisite Corpse, which has a similar premise of collaborative um, and, and serial, going from one person to the next, collaborative kind of art 
making. Mm-hmm. So Sammy was the, the main person. Um, some other uh, formidable local musicians, Frank McGinnis from Frankie and His Fingers is in on it. Uh, Jesse Alexander from the band Battle Ave. Um, Peter Nadeo, an incredible songwriter, guitarist, and uh, producer. Um, Adam Stoutenberg and uh, myself. Was that six? I think uh-huh. that was. I Did think I so. Anybody out? Yeah. Hold yeah. on, wait. Sammy Frank, if I do, I'll pay for it. <laughs> Sammy Frank, Adam, Jesse, me. Who's it? Elliot, Peter. Yeah, we got it. There okay. it is. There yeah. you go. You uh, got it all. The team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, and this, of course, is available everywhere, right? Seed yeah. project. I yeah. like to drive people to band camp because yep. I'm a believer in yep. band camp. So that's uh, seed project. Uh, thus, no, it's just seedproject.bandcamp.com. But it is. It's on all the services. Yeah, so. yeah. Bandcamp is a, is is good. I mean, I'm all about supporting music as well and and paying the musicians right. and not the corporations like Spotify. But that's a whole nother. Um, conversation i think so as much as you can support local <laughs> yeah. support local and support your musicians by going to Bandcamp or going to their websites and in some cases you can buy directly from musicians as well so talk to me about subfamily well it's the same crew that made seed project more or less and uh well we call it subfamily records it's uh, a bit of a uh misleading uh to think of it as a label per se because labels have A&R departments and they're out actively recruiting and looking for talent and for music that's, you know, sympathetic with what they've already put out, you know, that kind of thing. What we really are is a little bit more of a, a collective. Everybody had new music almost ready to go or ready to go. And, and we play, there's a lot of crossbreeding people playing in each other's bands within this little community. And the idea was essentially more collective than label. The idea was let's make the, high-effort, low-reward work of promoting new music in this current environment where we're saturated with it, mm-hmm. uh, and so much of it is good, don't get me wrong, you know, I think there's a, you know, there's a, an abund- a super abundance of good recorded music coming out in this era. Um, let's make that job of just trying to get it heard a little bit easier with a little bit of load sharing, and let's throw a brand on it with a logo, call it a label, um, and, you know, just help each other kick our music out there, and um, we started in 2017. 2018 was the big year because everyone in the group had a release that year. Oh. And when that was done, we kind of slipped into a, um, you know, I don't know what the word is, but we weren't active for a little while, more or less, and now it's really coming active again right now with a brand new album by Frankie and His Fingers and new music from me coming soon behind that. <clears throat> and it's, uh, you know, it's just it's there when it needs to be is kind of the idea. But it's also about establishing something of a regional brand. Mm-hmm. And for instance, before the world ended, I had been booking and curating this series of Subfamily Records Presents at the Beverly in Kingston, one wow. of my favorite local venues. Oh, nice. And we had done four of those, volume four, I think, and they were getting more and more successful, and they were bizarre. Like the last one was... Um, a improvisational electronic group called Kryptonic Halo, which Scott Petito is in, and some other real heavies, Brian Dewan, David Garland. And then that was followed by Marka Young's Hudson Valley String Quartet playing movements of Beethoven's String Quartet. And then that was followed by the Sweet Clementines. And, you know, Trippy Thompson, owner at the Beverly, told me it was the best night they'd had there. Wow. You know, wow. and so there were so many things. And at my age, you don't take this lightly. There were so many things that had good momentum going mm-hmm. that just, you know, Mm-hmm. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me your yeah, thoughts that's, that's, about uh, when, say, in six months, most people that want a vaccine will have been vaccinated. Things will be opening up to larger capacity. Tell me about your thoughts of the music scene and what will happen at that I know, time. It's funny. It's like, I wonder if it's going to be super competitive at that point because everybody's uh, trying to get it going again. I wonder if the competition for, uh, you know, competition does not scribe, describe the climate of the local music scene at all. And mm-hmm. It's extremely collective. But there are still limited resources, right? You know, shows, stages, venues, weekends. Those are, those are limited resources. Um, I don't know if it's going to be cutthroat out there i don't know what i guess i'm mo- i get i'm not so worried about that what i'm more worried about is the attitude of audiences and whether they storm back 
or whether there's a reluctance there. What do you think? Why you would think you think there? Be... Tell me why you would think there would be a reluctance. Because I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my own personal thought and not having given it a broader uh, thought of, of like, oh my god, all I know is I can't wait to get back. I, but you tell me why would why do you think there would be a reluctance? <laughs> I guess because I'm a pessimist. I'm a nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I think. It's just a variable. That's all I'm saying it is. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that, like what David Barron said when I interviewed him, it's going to be like our roaring 20s. It's going to be yeah. a party to end all parties. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'll, I'm going to defer to David on that, obviously. But I wonder sometimes about people's comfort level, especially if the story about COVID remains murky in any way. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been so politicized, as you know, and become the, you know, the bone of contention in this massive social schism. Uh, between how you're supposed to behave publicly and we're looking at each other with suspicion as never before and we're looking at each other. You know what I mean? There's a whole bunch of new civic realities uh, and I don't know how they're going to play out. But as I said, I, you're you're right, I'm wrong. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be like, you know, hugging in the streets, right? That's what it's going to be. A massive love fest. Um, I, yep. <laughs> I don't, I don't, like, I, I, I don't go to big stadium shows very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, you know, like Madison Square Garden or Brooklyn or, you know, like something like that. I don't know how quickly that will come. I think it will. I think it will. I think people are just going to be so doggone happy to be able to go see music again and go see their favorite bands. I'm more about smaller, intimate uh, music scene, but that's me, you know, and I think like I see people now that go out, you know, I mean, there's incidental live music happening at the Falcon. There's incidental live music happening at uh, Town Crier. We just got a notice that uh, Daryl's house is going to open again at a 25% capacity next weekend. So, you know, so things are slowly, slowly you know, coming back, but some of those things never left, you know, like, um, true, you know, so I think it's going to be an interesting time, but I think it's gonna, um, I don't know. I, I think people are excited about music. Yeah. And I think just to, 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 to refer back to something you said, I think Tony at the Falcon obviously had this tailor made situation already yeah, he continuing did. right into, and uh, I played a couple shows there with Rhett and I uh, attended a couple of other shows. Fantastic. I think another venue that, that killed it um, in the good sense of that word was colony when they, they built that uh, big outdoor stage and mm-hmm. made use of that enormous backyard they had. And I went to a number of shows there and, and, you know, I think every player I've talked to who played at all during the year, and I, I think I played 12 or 13 shows total, uh, most of them outdoors, you know, um, everyone reported an uncommon level of sensitivity and attentiveness mm-hmm. and response from mm-hmm. the audiences, you know. It was really something. Mm-hmm. It was just like, even though there was a moat separating you, you know, 30 feet, not with something you're used to as a player in smaller venues or, or outdoors, there's this moat between you and the audience. The, the the listening culture was amazing. Yeah, yeah. During the year. Yeah, it really was. I love the colony too. What a brilliant idea they had out back there with the big picnic yep. tables. Everything was so, you know, spaced so far. It was just really well done, really well done. The stage was up high enough so you could see the band from wherever. The sound system was killer. It was it was yep. very, very well done. So, yeah, I mean, at least it'll be interesting. And for the colony and for some other places as well, you actually had more people outside than they could have fit inside at some yep, shows, yep. you know, so it'll be interesting to see if like a venue like that will continue the outdoors, even when they're allowed to open at full capacity. So um, I think they probably will. And I think Tony, you know, probably will continue to use that uh, outdoor space as well. Why yeah. Not, yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think so. It's I, I, I'm excited for it. So yeah, it's a good thing. Um, so let's talk about your solo project. Like you don't have enough on Great. your plate. <laughs> well, as I said, you know, this is, I, I mean, it's a little, I do play in a lot of bands, and I didn't even mention all of them, but it's a little misleading because it, except for one or two exceptions in the, in the last five years, I don't do a, touring, um, and all the bands I'm in are original projects. I'm not in any cover bands or occasional bands that get, 
routine work, you know, from weddings, parties, you know, or even dinner music necessarily. Um, and so there's a very limited amount that original projects can play in a region. You know, you can only play so many times mm-hmm. in a period of time. So, so uh, even though I might be in seven bands on paper, um, the booking conflicts are infrequent. Um, but I, during the, the COVID era, I had this batch of songs that maybe I didn't think of were Sweet Clementine's type of material, or I was just looking at recording them on my own. And then I started just calling friends and calling relationships that I've built over the years and pulling people in on it. And it, it just got really exciting to think like I could call this person and say, hey, want to chip in a part? And like everyone, every musician I know has gotten familiar with the the COVID recording routine. You know, you, you get tracks, you, you record something, you send the track, and then someday you get a finished product back and you hear your your contribution. Um, there's problems with doing it that way, needless to say. You know, most organic styles of music are based at least off of a live rhythm section recording, mm-hmm. and that's not been something that's been available to players so much this year. And sometimes, like, one thing I've noticed that happened with Seed Project is if I'm a pretty loose player rhythmically, if there was a real flaw in my performance that was used as the, as the basis or foundation of everything that followed my flaw would get kind of propagated through the arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so there's, it's a whole new way to think about recording. But I started doing this using the name Unitis, which is a, a, oh, a I'm project sorry. name that I've had. In, you, I, I well, totally I messed it up. that you're not a football fan, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Unitis. A legendary Yeah, Johnny Unitas, uh, American hero, um, <laughs> quarterback. Um, so I just started calling in people in my main partner in it so far has been the amazing drummer and producer jeff lipstein who uh did drums on the a couple of the first tracks in and also um sound design and mixed them and he's you know incredibly talented and he's just been a great foil for me he's got a real progressive edgy sense of how to do things and uh and then laura stevenson has chipped in these phenomenal vocal arrangements on my tunes which you know as an acquired taste as a singer, I can use that kind of help. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Parada's on it. You know, Dean Jones, the yeah. great producer and multi-instrumentalist, uh, Grammy winner. He's on uh, some stuff. And it's just been a hoot sending these tracks around to people I've always wanted to work with. And they're like, yeah, and, and this great stuff comes back. And, you know, then it's on me or me and Jeff, as the case may be, to make it work. Oh, but, so um, exciting. So exciting. Are yeah. you going to play out as Unitas? Um, I hope to, absolutely. Before COVID cut so many things short, I had been just broaching the, the solo performance thing, which has never been my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I don't have the traditional singer-songwriter skill. I'm really more a guitarist first, but a lifelong songwriter and composer type. Mm-hmm. But I had really started to get comfortable with it. It was working extremely hard on my singing, and I would had uh, four shows in that context, and they had been you know, getting better each time to the point where the last one was like, hey, I can do this, and this is going to be the new thing for me. And then... <laughs> COVID. Boom. Yeah. 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 So, yes, I absolutely hope to get back on, on that, and I hope the momentum is still there. But, you know, we were talking about what is live music going to be like. Well, what I was trying to book with that was house shows, those listening room shows, mm-hmm. really attentive, small... And, you know, you know, sometimes those are the most the best-paying nights for musicians, too, because it's more like more like patronage, not like playing a, uh, paying a cover at the door. It's more right. like really, you know. So I'm hoping that that will get started again. And then I would also consider uh, putting a live lineup together if, if uh, it seemed to be going that way. Yeah. Oh, that sounds exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm so honored that you sent a track over for us to play here. This has not been released yet. Is that correct? Nope. Still a couple months away, but I was pretty eager. I just got the final mix from Jeff. And, uh, you know, I was like, uh, since I'm not on the label or anything, that, well, I am, but I am the label. Um, <laughs> since, I, since there's no one out there who's going to object to me, <laughs> me pre, you know, previewing this, I was like, let's just do it. You know, it's a, you know, 
let's uh, let's tease it right here and now. I always find that to be the greatest honor. So I thank you. So we're going to listen to Birds of Heaven after in a few minutes when you and I are done talking. I want to premiere that as well and just open it up. And please, I'm going to say, please stay in touch. Let me know when you're out and about because at the end of every one of my shows, I always do musical happenings and tell people where they can go see musicians in the area. So, you know, please, anything that you're involved in, or you're playing out or you're, you know, producing a show somewhere, please stay in touch and let me know because um, I'd love to share that with, uh, with the listeners here. You don't have to ask me twice. All right. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. So Unitas, oh my gosh, I never would have known that. I'm glad we spoke. Yeah. You wait, Unitas, Unitas. It's yep. not Unity. Yep. Yeah. Unitas is your new project. Yeah. The Sweet Clementines, you guys will be coming out of hopefully this summer, maybe, right? I mean, um, maybe outdoor shows. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, well, Colony well. is perfect for you, as well as, you know, sure. the Falcon Outdoor Stage. How lucky Tony was when he built that deck, not even knowing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was good. And then you're still working with Rhett Miller also? Yeah, well, Rhett was, you know, talk about a guy whose career was grounded by this. And yeah. he was just like, you know what? There's people locally that he's always wanted to play with, and, and the band is me and my bandmate in Sweet Clementines, Jason Sarubi, bass player and uh, engineer. And then um, uh, Rhett's longtime drummer and sister-in-law, uh, Angela Iden. And, and so we have this pickup kind of band. We play his solo tunes we play some old 97 stuff and we do some covers and just been you know having an absolute blast with it and it keeps rolling and you know just between you and me i'm hoping he's going to want to maybe take this around a little bit when the uh yeah when the climate for live music changes but in any case it's just been a hoot he's such a talent but also such a, a great guy yeah and, and also you know, a hudson valley a also a hudson valley resident another one of those that we're lucky to have here in the area so um Good yep. stuff. Good stuff. Ah, oh, John, it's a pleasure. I want you to come back. Um, I want to yeah, play some music it. now, you know, because my time's almost up. But I want to play mm-hmm. some of your music so we can get that out on the airwaves. And I always say if anyone's missed part or all of this conversation, um, I'll upload it later. You know, it'll be on all streaming platforms on local motion and also on YouTube. So I thank you so much for your time. I'm really looking forward to listening to more of your works here with all the stuff you have going on the seed project and and unitas and you know rep miller so thank you so much for your time here today and thank you you, you are a gift in the hudson valley as well Aww. so um we're lucky to have you your words your writing your performance and your 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 just all around wonderful things that you do for us here and that you say for the hudson valley so thank you for doing what you do you are a big part of the scene here in the area and thank you for for being on the show today. It's so good to talk with you. Great. Thank you so much, Rita. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, I'm going to play some music now. I'll talk with you soon, John. I'll let you roll. And um, we'll play some music right here, right now. All right. All right. You take care. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. That was John Burdick. Let's take a listen to this premiere of Birds of Heaven off his solo project right here, right now on 91.3. Just to spy as if we must 
and to cry as we always knew we should. Tethered to the way of you, the circling, the mute, the knowing eyes of God, to their surprise, declassified. The world's inside, so rich and new, and your reprieve won't set them free. This they choose, forever doubting and true. They belong. To anyone for a song, the birds of heaven are keeping you wondering who they are in fall. All you do and all you do and all that you will despair. Me, the truth weighs on me still, but we won't wonder anymore.
91.3 WVKR, The Sweet Clementines, Bobby Mercer. We forgot to talk about that track in particular when John was on, um, so we'll have to do it next time. Definitely want John back. He's a wealth of knowledge of the Hudson Valley music scene here. So we also heard his new world premiere, maybe world Hudson Valley premiere of Unitas, Birds of Heaven. This is his solo project. We were just discussing Birds of Heaven. So great music. John Burdick, thank you for being my guest. And what I'm doing now, we're going to go out with one more track of his um, from the Seed Project. And now what we do, because it's that time of the show, we do what's called Musical Happenings in the event that you support live music. And there's still a little live music, and there's also lots of live streams that you can support musicians with. Let's do this in alphabetical order, starting with the Bardavon and Bardavon.org. March 13th, live from Ireland, We Banjo 3. At Daryl's House in Pauling, also Daryl'sHouseClub.com, they are opening March 13th for dinner at 25% capacity. There will be a live stream March 11th, the Amish Outlaws. March 12th, a live stream with the alternate routes. At the Falcon in Marlboro and live at thefalcon.com, restaurant is open Friday through Sunday evenings. You can sign up for their email list for updates at liveatthefalcon.com. This Friday, March 5th, The Restless Age. Saturday, Jim Campolongo Fortet. Sunday, the legendary Sheila Jordan and Cameron Brown. At the Town Crier in Beacon, towncrier.com, live music Friday through Sunday on the Salon stage. Friday featuring Dan Brother Trio. Saturday, the Everly Set. And Sunday brunch with East Coast Jazz. Reservations recommended. And the Valley Hour and thevalleyhour.com, their next concert will be March 25th featuring Alex Waterman and Stephen Clare. Free tickets available, free sign up at thevalleyhour.com. And a huge thank you again to John Burdick, my guest here on Local Motion today. We're going to go out with one more track of his. And I will tell you that next week, my guest will be Tara O'Grady. And two weeks on St. Patrick's Day, Blues Great Joe Lewis Walker will be my guest. Three weeks, Danny Bloom, recording engineer, Hidden Quarry Studios. Really look forward to talking with him. He also has just recently worked with John Burdick. And then on the 31st of this month, thrilled to have coming back David Barron. So good month coming up. Stay tuned for all the great music. We'll go out now with a track of music. Of course, it's a track of music. Silly, right? Seed Project, available on all streaming platforms, but also available at the Seed Project Bandcamp.com. This was just released January 21st, and we're going to go out with a track. I love the track, the, t- the title of this, Mary Hart in a Martha World. So we'll leave you with that. We'll be back next Wednesday. And until then, I wish you all peace. Yeah.
Listening to WVKR FM Poughkeepsie, Vassar College Independent Radio since 1971.